or act on Earthlets. My name is Conrad, alongside my friend Fox, and this is the 169th nice episode mm. of Space Spinner uh, 2000. Yeah. Podcast for two Americans try to make sense of the UK's own galaxy's greatest comic, 2000 AD, one month of progs at a time. This episode, we're covering 2000 AD for August and September 1987, progs 535 to 538. This time, Universal's the Universal Soldier makes landfall. Mean Team is back in the pit. The yeah. Strontium Dog wedding is off. Dread is heading down the bayou. And Zenith begins with a bang. And here I am holding all these commemorative plates for this fucking royal wedding. Doesn't mean Jack. Yeah, get those ducks off those plates, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Just whip them with if- a goddamn bandolier. Always. If you want to read along with us, you'll find the comics we're covering today in Judge Dread the Complete Case Files 11, Strontium Dog SD Agency Files 4, Zenith Phase 1, 2000 AD Extreme Edition 25, and 2000 AD Presents Sci Fi Thrillers. What? Is this the first yeah, time know, I've heard of this? Yeah, I mean, Sci Fi Thrillers came out in, like, I want to say, like, 2017 or something, and it's very much a sort of a, a dustbin for a bunch of shorts, short uh, 2008 <laughs> series. I mean, that's mean, but it's also well, where but it's also Universal true. Soldier ends up, you know? So. Oh, oh, okay, so it's good to know that uh, it shouldn't be so heavily invested in this comic. I mean, I've got some ups and downs with Universal Soldier. We'll, we'll get to it eventually. I've like, got I, some question marks why isn't this just a long i all right i feel like it's a long yeah, running fucking future shock listen we got other stuff to talk about and what we got to talk about is through one zenith yay it's like watchmen but not watchmen yeah a script robot grant morrison art robot steve yole letting robot mark king yeah and it's a uh, it's Zenith, like the uh, like the Buddhist philosophy, I guess. It's the, it's the, it's the British pronunciation. It's, it's one of these things, you know? <laughs> Constantine versus Constantine, for it's, instance. It's whatever. not the only thing Buddhist that was stolen from Buddhism and put in this comic book. You know, just like a, you know, That's true. It's a Nazi thing. Yeah. Got, got Mandela... Mandala next week. It's all crazy. Oh, I'm no. just I'm trying not to get yelled at by English people but, or by uh, <laughs> by by people from the British Isles, okay? All these Albioners yelling at me for my pronunciations. <laughs> so it's Zenith. Anyway, let's go. Ooh, let's lift so, a tank. Well, I, I want to give some backstory here first, Fox. At the start of 1987, I talked about um how the 2080 production crew wanted to start getting new creators and new stories, sure. especially as Fleetway was taking over 2000 AD. Um, and we're seeing a big example of this here in Zenith, a new character de- uh, by a debuting artist and a writer with a first his first like real long-term story. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's Steve Yeol's first work in the prog and Grant Morrison's big series after a bunch of future shocks and that U- Ulysses Sweet thing. Stand um, air like what he was in World War II. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's 1987, Fox, and if there's one thing that typifies comics in the mid to late 80s, <laughs> it's the realization that superheroes are, like, kind of dumb, <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, if there's two things, it's that telling one big story about a bunch of different superheroes ac- across several superhero comics can make a lot of money, a lesson we're also dealing with <laughs> in yeah. the present. Um, but this first idea was expressed in a lot of ways, um, 
mo- you know, notably the two pillars of modern comics, in my opinion, at least, I guess, uh, uh, Watchmen and, and The Dark Knight Returns. Sure. Yeah. Multi-part series that sort of echo through the ages. Even in, so that even in 2000 AD, which of course is not a home to superhero comics, they'd be fools to not jump on this train. <laughs> and so here we are at Zenith, basically. And, you know, um, let's trod the path that we've trodden before. Hey, World War II is a thing, right? Let's do that. Can't, can't not do it. Um, in, Th- in Thrill Power Overload, they talked to Grant Morrison and how he felt that how these sort of existing uh, dark superhero comics were, were were kind of pretentious or like concept albums, basically. I'm, I, I kind of don't disagree with him, if that yeah. makes sense. I think he's got a point. And so he, he built his take on the superhero thing to be more organic and more about being a young asshole in the 1980s. <laughs> you know, specifically, he's, he said he was drawing it on parts of himself way. to make the character of, of, of Zenith here. Well, it definitely um, feels that way with some of the other characters that he expresses where it's like yeah. losing their powers I mean, and shit. Yeah, and I think we're going to see a lot of stuff that's about like this the mood of the 80s in in Zenith, like both in terms of being a young person and in terms of maybe maybe being a baby boomer and sort of getting into your 40s and Yeah, like, growing you know. up and not having that same sort of spunk anymore, if that makes sense. Exactly. Yeah. So the character designs in Zenith were done by Brennan McCarthy, who continues to be a creative force in this era of 2000 AD, but he wasn't interested in doing the weekly story. <laughs> so Morrison brought in Yoel, who he had met doing a comic based on the Japanese mecha toy Zoids. Oh, oh okay. The British Zoids comics, and now they're working together here too. Um, but anyhow, Fox, not to spoil things too much, but Zenith is a big deal going forward. And as much as guys like uh, Rogue, Johnny Alpha, and Slane were defining characters in the early 80s of 2000 AD, mm-hmm. Zenith's going to be a top guy going forward. Oh, okay. So just FYI. Great. Anyhow, here we go. Sorry, big big, big preamble here. Trying to do preambles for like big characters when they show Pre-nambles. up. You know? Anyway. <laughs> but we start. Let's go. Uh? I love this opening comic, Fox. Just the whole thing. Just um, lifting starts, up a tank and and deflecting yeah. bullets and like a uh, planes flying overhead and then also hey alternate history we didn't nuke fucking Japan <laughs> yeah well it's it's the whole thing starts with the World War Two newsreel and I like how how, how Yo draws it with like a, kind of a grainy film stock added mm. on to the to the images about a new weapon and the fight against Hitler Great Britain's own superhero Maxi Man you know. <laughs> I love you can hear like the, you know, it, it's written in, in a newsreel format and you can kind of hear like the patriotic music as we see him, like you said, in khakis in a Union Jack, run beside soldiers, push over tanks, have bullets bounce over him and stuff. Watch out, Fritz. Maxi Man's on the way. Yeah, <laughs> the fucking Fritz comment was great. And then hard cut to him just having the shit beaten out of him by a Nazi super soldier. Yeah, hard cut to Berlin, December 21st, 1944, as literal Nazi Superman, Masterman, is monologuing as he beats Maxi Man to death. Oh, it's real cool. Oh, man, it's like playing Mega Man all over again. Whoa, that's a a real dark Mega Man, buddy. (laughs) Maxi Man saying the Lord's Prayer as Masterman taunts him, saying, there's no one up there, but there is. A squadron of bombers fly overhead, first dropping instruments and then one single bomb onto Berlin. They talk about atoms and going down in history. 
Whoops. Master, <laughs> good times. Master Man prote- prepares to kill Maxi Man, asking where the spirit of the Blitz is, and saying something very disturbing about the coming of the many angled ones when they both look up. Master Man says no, and they are enveloped in the white light of nuclear fire. Mushroom cloud. What's nuts is like the jokes that I mean, kind of jokes that these guys were making while they were flying over and dropping the bomb. When you read about like Hiroshima and Nagasaki and how long they were just flying over all of the cities, despite Mm -hmm. getting the the you know call to fucking do it, mostly because those people were like, "We really don't want to do this. Maybe they'll just call it off." Because yeah, it's fucking horrible. Yeah, it's pretty tough. Um, but so now, a- a- as the mushroom cloud fires, we s- then snap again to June 23rd, 1987, as a man and a woman, a, a doctor and Fraulein Haas, uh, mm-hmm. walk into a basement where something smells real bad. Hey, it's a Cthulhu um, doll, I guess. Yeah, apparently one of one of her masters manifested here recently. Anyhow, places full of weird sculptures, candles, a giant wall swastika, as you do, <laughs> and a high-tech coffin. Inside the coffin, the body of Master Man. They're going to wake him up. You know, I'm pretty uh, surprised at how not irradiated the whole of Berlin is, despite having a bomb drop not too long ago. But, you know... Like, 30 years ain't so bad, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how, like, I admit, I, I didn't look up to see what's going on with, like, Hiroshima and Hiroshima and, and Nagasaki in terms of, like, their livability post-bomb post and stuff. But, Wasn't good. Uh, yeah, maybe it's just another part of Berlin. Berlin's pretty big, you know? If it can, if it can fit, <laughs> and, and, and if it can fit basements full of uh, vampires, I guess it can also fit basements full of uh, cryogenically frozen Nazis, you know? Oh, man, call back to one of my favorite comic books of all time. Always and forever. So now we go to April 30th, 1987, and I think this is just an error. Like, everything's happening in sort of late April, early May, mm. and I believe that that June date in the first episode was a mis- was a, was a typo. This is sort of where I felt like the actual writing strength coming in, where it's, you know, hey, mm. you, were a per- you were a super person during this time, but you don't have that thing anymore, and now you're all these other things, or had to do all of these other things. And it, yeah. um, I don't know, it was yeah, just, it was a neat sort of way of handling it, like, oh, people don't keep their superpowers, and also definitely. this guy's super drunk. <laughs> yeah, we, we we see a morning show interviewing the writer of a book about Cloud Nine, the 1960s English superhero group, along with Zenith, the world's only active superhuman, and former Cloud Nine member Ruby Fox. It's all on TV. We also see a London flat just complete with like Robert Ludlum book and stuff like that mm. as an older fellow drinks tea and a super being crashes through the window. This older guy, Robert, chastises Zenith about drinking and flying and scolds him for messing around with just some dumb page six models. Which, I mean, you know, not going to fault the guy, but also probably just shouldn't drink and fly. Yeah. Uh, sorry, I I, I got to mess up. Robert is uh, Zenith's real name, and then Eddie is um, it's his agent. Got it. Um, but so... Um, he, uh, yeah, so he, like, you know, Eddie, who's uh, Zenith's manager, is yelling at him. Zenith sees himself on TV and then takes a shower. He tries to schedule a meet and greet at, like, a Virgin Megastore or a similar kind of thing. But we learn that Zenith's powers are linked to his biorhythm. 
mm. and he'll have basically no power on the day they're asking him for. So he, you know, he, he can't make it basically. And it honestly, it looks like it's trending down anyway. I mean, it seems like it goes up and down. Like, like, do you know biorhythms, Fox? No, nah, man. This concept, it's like a, it's like a, a, a new agey, like a ultra astrology is how I, I would describe it. Like. So grounded in real so. hard facts and science, huh? Yeah. Glad we're starting on that foot. It's definitely got a lot. It's, it's like based on your birthday more than anything else. I remember on the very early internet, um, one of the big things that CompuServe had was that it could um, generate your biorhythm. <laughs> like a feature or something. Well, I'll be um, taking a look for Kabbalah bullshit once we get through part of this comic then. I mean, you know, I feel like I I don't know if if, if Kabbalah and H.P. Lovecraft can really cross over. Like I feel like oh, those they, two things tend to. I feel like they definitely themselves. can. And oh my god, why have we not done that yet? Madonna, I mean, you know, let's be in touch. I know you're hold listening. On, you know, but so Zenith uh, watches himself on TV. It, where he ignores the discussion about the ethics and morality of classic superheroes and just kind of wants to talk about his new album, basically. <laughs> um, and and also, I guess, just drink a tab. Why not? Oh, it's the 80s. Zen says this stuff is real boring, all this past stuff, though Eddie makes a fair point about nostalgia in all forms being valuable. He's also worried about how hard Zenith, who he always calls Robert, is pushing himself. But come on, man. I'm 19. I can flatten ball bearings with my fingers, and I'm basically invulnerable. What can go wrong? As we ominously focus on the swastika (laughs) on the cover of the the Ludlum novel. (laughs) Brought to you by Tab. Tab. The drink of, like, probably not Cthulian Nazis. I don't know. Yeah, Cthulhu feels like a Coke guy to me, I gotta say. <laughs> Cthulhu um, feels like a Pepsi guy to me, firm. Fair. Co- Coca-Cola is an Illuminati Bilderberg drink, man. Come on, get with the times. I gotta I gotta check my, my Venn diagrams here. <laughs> no, well, okay, whatever. <laughs> I'm just gonna get into it. I'm not, I'm not getting into it. Describe your perfect Illuminati go. Well, I mean, because if it's if 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 okay, I, I guess Pepsi makes sense as being for the globalists because mm-hmm. uh, QAnon because uh, Coke is a drink of QAnon. Anyway, um, <laughs> just based on on prominent Coke drinkers, I can oh, think of this is um, fantastic. So, the dates have normalized, and we're back in Berlin on April 30th. The doctor, whose name is Dreisch, has revived the Master Man. Uh, like, apparently, this is a twin of Master Man and wants to leave. Right. But Haas says, it's too late. The ritual of the Nine Angles has begun. Oh, good. So furthering the science of bringing a doctor down here, that's good. Yeah, they stand in a magic triangle and put on masks, and things are getting real crazy. Well, one of them puts on a mask. The other one is clearly not yeah. red or on this whole Dark God concept. Yeah, Dreisch did not sign up for this part of the uh, of the thing. An image uh. begins to manifest in the smoke of the candles and braziers. It's a badass cloud of eyes and mouths and teeth. Oh. Always, always the worst kind of cloud, really, to manifest. Bottom cloud. Only, only, only the only thing worse is a Torquemada uh, worm cloud, basically. Yeah, oh. and, and there's a lot of similarities here, for the record. It's real gross. 
Haas says she is a member of the Order of the Black Sun and that this thing is even more powerful than the being she met previously. Whoops. Christ says he can't, his, he can't breathe, his nose is bleeding, and we learn that this being will soon inhabit the body of Master Man. But there is only one last requirement, a sacrifice. Oh, man, and, this feels so Mandy right now. Yeah, Haas pushes the doctor into the being. He feels an incredible pressure. His eyes start to bleed, and then his head explodes, covering Haas in blood. I'm going to be honest. The squibs on this, like, panel, pretty fucking epic. Yeah, good splatter here, for sure. The smoke flows into Master Man, and he awakens, gets up, testing his new body. It's stronger than ever. And then he's just, you know, he goes over to the blood spot where Brain Goo is and just puts that in his mouth. It's like, mmm, delicious. I don't know what rhesus is. Uh, it's uh, it's like RH, it, it, it's a type of, uh, it's like a semi-rare blood type. Like, I think 10% of people have it. It basically doesn't meet, doesn't matter that much except in if, like, uh, negative and positive people have a, uh, ha- have a kid. It could cause uh, problems in the womb is my understanding. What the fuck? All Just right. one of these, um, yeah, RH negative. I, th- I think it's what they talk about when people say, like, if you're O positive or O negative. But I could be wrong about that. Okay. Sorry, not a doctor. No, I mean, like, <laughs> not a doctor. Yeah. And then this, so so then Masterman introduces himself as Ioxatat, the okay. eater of souls. Let's just go with, like, Masterman again. It's fine. I'm not going to remember Ioxatat. I am. Uh, he's the first of the, of the many angled ones to return. He must prepare the way for others, and thus he must visit London. Okay. Well, all right. Have a good time on your holiday. Yeah. A few days later, on May six, Ruby Fox, once a Superman or super being, I should say, is working at a fashion magazine and haunted by her superpowered past, now That's beset awesome. by giant migraines. And I love the narration that mm. Morrison writes here. Like you really feel like you're inside uh, uh, Ruby's head. Like her, her just she's got a lot of asides as she's thinking. It really puts you yeah. in there, I guess. I mean, it's um, a lot of reminiscing, and and it's mostly reminiscing because like her brain is a pain in the ass. And I don't know if you noticed this. She was doodling on a piece of paper a bunch of eyes. Oh, interesting! I didn't notice that. Yeah. Good catch. She heads home, takes some paramol, which is what what a what we call Tylenol here in the States and listens to some classic rock and then reads a romance novel. Well, called, I looked it up, by Fox. the way, called destiny. Mm. See so just, much foreshadowing. Yeah. That that's a real book as well. Like a real, uh, uh romance oh. novel. I, oh. I just looked up the name of the, of, of what she took. Cause it, it's different. If it's asked, if it's like Tylenol or Aspen versus like a sleeping pill or an opiate or something like that. I don't sure. know. Um, but anyway, She's, she just talks about what her life is like. She, her, she, she says her head feels like a haunted house, the door, windows creaking and doors banging, which I think is a great image. Mm. Um, but speaking of crazy doors, who's that at the door of her apartment? Oh, shit, it's Master Man! Boom, ain't no door in here anymore. I'm just going to no, say the words boo because I'm a creeper and then go into some exposition. Yeah, comes in monologuing as he goes. He threatens to use her as breeding stock, and she says that she's sterile as a side effect of her powers. I I know. So first off, fully, I just want to put out there, Mm -hmm. fully, fully get this is a fucked up situation when someone calls a woman breeding stock for your own survival, (laughs) right? 
so that someone doesn't just immediately kill you. Somewhere to crush open my door and be like, I'm going to treat you like breeding stock or kill you. I'll be like, dude, I'm totally fertile. I'm ready to breed. Let's not I kill mean, me immediately. This whole situation falls into a very comic booky, like I am punching you in the face while saying a paragraph kind of thing. Yeah, you know? it's, it's very much there. He was about <laughs> to destroy her with a golden globe. So, But I mean, and, and we are also sort of establishing the backstory and, and exposition of Zenith as we go. Or, and of or course, Zenith, we want say. to make sure that this demon Nazi bad guy definitely says things that you would think, you know, before he was a Nazi. Now he's a reborn Nazi with a demon inside of him. Is he really all that bad? You know? Yeah, no, it's important to establish him as rapey for sure, especially because he doesn't have a lot of goons. So we can't just like kill, you know, I guess maybe the doctor counts, but he he didn't full on have a chance to kill one of his own goons to establish his evil. You know, that's well, I mean, he kind of did, right? Besides the giant swastika. (laughs) Well, because he he had to eat that doctor's uh, brain, guts and body soul. So, you know, I mean, it wasn't I guess. You know what? I'll take your side. He was not established as a goon at the time. He was just a sacrifice. So you got to mm-hmm. make up for it by being a complete rapey rapist. Yeah. So she she tries to fend him off, but of course he's super strong and stuff. In, instead, she has to, she reaches out and uses her powers. Uh, a snap. bolt of electricity arcs from a wall socket and into the, ni- the Nazi beast. So maybe her inability to use her powers isn't as great as, she's ha- as she has said. Exactly. And uh, you know what? Her headache's gone. So that's a plus. Mm. Her apartment burns. And again, I just love this aside here. She worries about her fish that have been boiled alive in their yeah. own aquarium. She jumps out the window, catches herself, and flies away to safety. And doesn't She's, forget her purse. She's very forward thinking, I guess. Gotta, gotta have your credit ball, cards. Buddy. Yeah. Her headache's gone. She's feeling much better. She's safe and free. Unless... Unless he survived. And from what I can see, he totally has. And he steps on, like, the, like, I guess what would be the YMCA album, but not the Doors album. So clearly no, a Doors fan. No, that's that's Help by the Beatles, buddy. Oh, is it? Yeah. Right. Well, so he doesn't like the Beatles, but the Doors are fine. That's fair. Next time, I'm still standing. <laughs> <laughs> so, hey, man, Zenith happened. Zenith, yeah. Yeah, oh, uh, excuse me. So what was saying you, it right. What I don't want to be yelled at. I mean, uh, okay, you know what? I'll take Zenith, anyway. you take Zenith. It okay, was, go ahead. It was all right. I really like this opening. I'm really, I'm really stoked to get further into it and stuff. We're going to learn a lot of backstory, um, even more backstory next time. Just sort of an exposition dump a little bit. Mm-hmm. We're going to meet some other superheroes. Sure. I mean, I kind and, of expected that. It's going to take yeah. like a couple progs to get really started. Right, and just like uh, you know, I'm I'm super stoked to see how you're gonna h- how you're going with this one, Fox. I'm I'm really down. You're liking the uh, the Lovecraftian parts of it and stuff. I think it's gonna be. A oh, lot of dude! Fun. I mean, you know me. You know yeah, me so well. So like, a lot of this is scratching my itch. However, I will put this as a caveat: Fiends of the Eastern Front. I also took a little time on just to make sure that it was going to be awesome, and it was. Because I've been mm. burnt so many times on this comic book with them just like pulling out the Nazi card, right? Like. On bad comics. Now, out the gate, these guys are like, look, they're bad. You know they're bad. And all of this other stuff. It's like, okay, cool. And then the writing's pretty good. And I'm like, oh, I kind of see where you're going with this. Oh, this is kind of like smart writing. 
what the fuck's going on? Smart writing usually means this gets canceled in like, you know, <laughs> six progs or something. Now we're so. going to have Zenith for a little bit. It'll definitely take us into Oz, which which will okay. end the year with. Um, I should also say, um, Fox, if you're interested in superheroes fighting World War II, I really got to recommend uh, Uber by, by Kieran Gillen. Okay. Which has a lot of superhero of, of superpowered individuals doing crazy World War II stuff. It's incredibly brutal, and I really enjoyed it, though I haven't checked on it in like a bunch of years, but it's still really good. Just Man, you, the art on this is beautiful. It's a similar sort of concept of like as the not as the Germans are losing the war, they introduce a couple superheroes that like turn the tide and so then the Brit I then, mean like, there's a guy doing an eye laser making everybody explode while someone punches a guy into his own like viscera yeah. mist. Then the uh then the uh then the allies respond with their own superheroes and there's a bit of a superhero arm race and stuff like that. Um I really like it, or I, I've, I've enjoyed it in the past. It's, it's you know, Conrad recommended, for sure. <laughs> I mean, the picture that I'm looking at is Adolf Hitler taking a line of coke saying, I am Germany, you idiot, to the smoking corpse of a man whose head just exploded. So if that's going to say anything to you, I feel like this might speak to my needs as a, uh, I like, I, I mean, I like jibs. I like viscera. Possibly not for the faint of heart, indeed. Yeah, it definitely seems that way. <laughs> yeah, and uh, speaking of matches made in heaven, Fox. Oh, <laughs> what like Hitler and cocaine, or what is this? Superheroes in uh, 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 superheroes in World War Two, maybe. Okay. Or, uh, <laughs> kings and ducks. It's thrill to strontium dog. I mean, they were really wonderful commemorative plates. I'll be honest. Mm. A script robot Alan Grant and John Wagner's Alan Grant. Art robot Carlos Escarlo and robot Jack Potter. You know, I will never again ask, would it be nice if Midface McNulty woke me up from my bed? Get up! <laughs> Fact is, it's no. It's not fun. No. Midnight at Upminster Cathedral, Midface McNulty and a tapir-faced um, alien rouse the Archbishop of Canterbury. Get your mitre on! You going to a wedding! Tapirs are so cute. Nah. Meanwhile, Johnny Alpha is driving King Clarky II and his fiance, the duck mutant Vera Duckworth, to the cathedral. And they're getting um, all lovey ducky in the back, you know. It's yeah. Cute. What? As the British police force is in hot pursuit. I mean, yeah, but nothing sexier than a hot pursuit. You know what I mean? Definitely. The prime minister's notified that they're going ahead of the wedding. And at the chapel, Middenface plays old commercial tongs, commercial songs on the organs. Yeah, macaroon Lee, bars, man. Yeah, Lee's, Lee's, more if you please. I ask of you on me bended knees for pickanese and grandpapas. It's Lee's for luscious macaroon bars. Um, it's right. wedding time with a coronation tossed in. Hey, sure, why not? I mean, it's a two-for-one yeah. special that the abbot does. The bishop is not stoked about this. Um, there's a funny part where the king says, oh, yes, you're going to marry me, bishop. And the bishop says, I don't know. I don't, I don't want to marry you. It's like, no, you're going to be married me to my fiance, jerk. Um, anyhow, a gun's put to the bishop's head, and he's willing to do it. Well, hey, ceremony, you know, pretty good payment. <laughs> yeah, definitely. The ceremony begins as security forces assault the church, and the leaders declare the king expendable, which I think is pretty, is pretty Which, awesome. Holy shit. As a, as the couple exchanges I do's, the cops show up on hover bikes and start shooting. 
So the cops have the mutants pinned down. They're taking hits. The cops are shooting to kill. But the dogs are sticking to stun shots. It's it's the second time Johnny's uh, required strontium dogs he's working with to shoot to stun instead of to kill. Which is kind well, of I mean, this is a this is a tense political situation, you know. I mean, it, yeah, it, it was on Kayakos or on a on a, on, a, on kayak also where they were going after those freedom fighters or whatever. Well, you know, but that was out of love and respect. This one's out of like, all right, we we don't want to just like. Make it harder for us to live. Totally. Meanwhile, the wedding is complete, and they borrow the tapir mutant's ring to steal the marriage. Which just says hate. <laughs> it's a skull ring, and the teeth of the skull spell hate, which is pretty awesome. It's great. Johnny pulls the crown out of a Tesco bag, and it's time for the coronation. Oh, my God. The flying squad on jetpacks tries to stop the wedding, but are taken out as Queen Vera I of England and what's left of the UK is coronated. Aw, snap. Ducks? Dude with a big nose? I'm feeling like this was a successful marriage. At last, finally the Prime Minister shows up with King Clarky's no good brother, Nobby! Oh man, and here, bigger army diplomacy is still in effect. (laughs) Yeah, Navi is jolly well deposed Clarky and Vera. He snatches the crown. Give it back, you ba- you bounder! Shant! And that was all- the best comeback. And he's like, listen, man, let me let me just put some, some five fingers up here. Parliament's with me, lords are with me, people with me, army with me, and mom's with me. Yeah. You're out! <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And even... Even the Strontium dogs have to give up the ghost and allow the rightful authorities to take control here. Clarky is sad, and Middenface is laughing so freaking hard at this whole situation. Uh, yeah, He's and just keeps making, making duck puns. Non-stop duck puns. Huge, like his mouth is open as wide as it possibly can as he laughs about this situation. Well, I'll tell you what, much like with most royalty that kind of gets put somewhere else... You put on a giant orbital platform, which seems to be, you know, super luxurious, so that they can yeah. take a gander at what's going on in the UK. This podcast is over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Clark, Clarky and Vera retire to the year-round palace to live a life of, uh, of, of exile, a cool space station-based exile, which is the best kind. Yeah, right? Like, that's got to have everything and zero yeah. grav. Totally. And the Strontium Dogs literally laugh their way to the bank. The end. I feel like, I mean, if that wasn't Clarky's like, plan all along, he was doing it wrong. I feel like lavish yeah. life in a fucking space station for the rest of your life with, like, your weird duck fetish lady, you know? Yeah. No, a- actually being king sounds like bullshit, but, like, being a, being a, a king in exile seems pretty dope. I'd, I mean, I'd do it, that for sure. It sounds like a lot of touching people and babies and once in a while. Mm. I mean, basically, you can't fuck around. But if you're the one who's not going to get the crown, it's like, I can fuck around all I want. Yeah, no, listen, yeah, when you're, when you're like, uh, when you're the second prince in line, you can marry a TV star. It's excellent. If anyway. I learned, if I learned anything from the king's speech... It was be the guy who marries the uh, uh, divorcee American the hot woman. Hot divorcee. Yeah. yeah, I mean, like, <laughs> seems seems like it was a better choice, for sure. Anyway, the end of Strontium Dog. What forever? No, Strontium Dog will return in uh, Prog Five Forty. So basically, next episode. Oh, good, and good. Then oh. King Navi will get what's coming to him in early 1988. But that's a story oh. for another time. Ah, damn. He actually seemed somewhat responsible, although probably racist. You can't 
like trust these kings, buddy? Come on. I feel like that's really true. What else can't I yeah. trust, Conrad? Um, the river folk in a fantasy future. <laughs> Thrill three, mean team. Oh God, beautiful transition. Hold on, while I do a polite clap. One moment. Ooh, very good. Very nice. Very good indeed. Nice. Mm. Script wrote about Alan Hebden. Art wrote about Massimo Bellardinelli. Letter wrote about John Aldrich as the Aldrich Three. Blue Baloo have sur- <laughs> Blue Baloo have, sur- have survived the fiery pit from last episode. More like a Boo Baloo get blown, you blumbrous yeah, bastardous boo. boobies. I don't know, man. I hate them. More I like, hate them so much. More like Boo Boo. <laughs> <laughs> Ten out of ten, chef's kiss again. (laughs) Our heroes have arrived at a cool fantasy city, finally giving us the sweet (sighs) Bellarmine landscape of an itching for this whole comic. And then immediately thrusts us into the arms of yet another Bellarmine pirate. Yeah, well, I should say, right after this, after the sweet landscape, we then jump to this week's Judge Dredd, so screw you, buddy. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I... I, It tells you how sure they are of how good it is when it's like continues after a different comic book. I mean, like, we, hey, man, we, don't don't leave quite yet. Here's this yeah. thing. Watch something better first, but then come back. OK, we are going to start seeing this more going forward, um, especially as the format of 2080 changes and, and, and having a few more color pages mm-hmm. where um, we'll have dread or whatever the color story is taking place in the middle of another story just because of how the page numbers work out and stuff uh, like okay. that. Which is a bummer. Figuring out their What are you going to do? Thing. Got it. Yeah. Anyway, back in the story, the crew arrives at the city gates where a bunch of cor- corpses are being tossed out. Emerald Eyes says they're looking for the boatmaster, Ding Dong Dooley. Oh, and great. The, when the guards give her guff, Badjack maces an orc dude into the <sighs> wall. Yep. Why not? This lead. Yeah, this leads to a fight, and once it's over, the team heads in, and we meet Ding Dong himself. He's got one big bell and a whole bunch of smaller bells on his hat and a sweet skull peg leg. Hey, sure, why not? He is my least favorite character in this, but does not overstay his welcome at the very least. Mm, we see him do some slave mastering, and he tosses mm-hmm. a dude into the water with his big handbell thing. Yeah, he just smacks him in. Why not? Yeah. I mean, that would Emerald be a dope the- weapon, though, I'll, I'll be honest. Big bell. Emerald Eyes asks for a, a asks for their boat to go down river, but they don't have any money, and that seems to be a problem. But Bad Jack Keller says not to worry. So oh, kind of, just walk down the street. No, look, there's yeah. just a big crowd observing a blood sport. Hey, I was that guy once. Fighting pit time. You can earn a bag of gold if you can win a fight to the death with a deadly stomper. <laughs> you you can win context sensitive amount of money. <laughs> Bonesaw is ready. Um, Jack, of course, is immortal and takes the bet and runs to fight the beast. But after some quick moves, he realizes that he's been cut in the fight. He's lost his immortality I, and can be killed. I mean, I like how he gets stomped on, kicked across a thing, and it's just like his hand has a small gash in it. And he's like, wait, it's not healing. Oh, my God. It's like, all right, man. <laughs> yeah. You didn't feel it the first couple times? Or what's what's going no, on here? Just wearing in here. Mean Team skipped Prog 536. Um, I guess there there were some production issues going on with this one. Uh, Stomper is stomping Jack and things look bad. In the crowd, Henry Moon recognizes that jerk centaur Lobo and thinks he might be behind Jack's lost uh, power. So he bites the man horse and suddenly Jack is back in action. Uh, And I mean, (sighs) he learns very quickly, never bite the 
the hind legs or hind parts of a horse, always go for the yeah. front, man, because it's just going to yeah. kick you backwards. Take you out. Yeah. That part of the so, horse is real rough. Yeah. Jack beats up Stomper and after a swipe from Henry causes the, oh, oh sorry, and after a swipe from Henry, um, the beast ends up stomping his own slave master. <gasps> Soon, Jack has the cash and they're able to buy their passage. They're headed downriver into the forbidden waters. Time for some Odysseus-esque shit to happen. Mm. After some light threats, Ding Dong duly agrees, and we're off. They pass warning signs and are right away attacked by a giant tentacle, but it's no match for a battle axe. So That's long as there's nothing sweet. worse than that, there'll be no problems. Whoops. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Uh, the boat goes down river through falls and rapids when suddenly a big net is in front of them. A toll gate! I mean... And a real tough toll because they got to give themselves all over completely to like these slavers. Yeah, it's hard to pay. <sighs> when, when the two, when the team refuses to pay, a fight breaks out. The pirates fire a bolt thrower that impales Ding Dong like a common dr- uh, dragon, <laughs> and their cannon <laughs> is destroyed. I was waiting to make this joke without without doing a thing but i love that you did and also context sensitive giant arrow bolts am i right i mean like <laughs> like really though like really fun, like we, did we run out of script to write guys i'm really proud I mean, of we're, you we're now like months after the, the game of thrones finale even as we uh, <sighs> as we record this and it'll be even more when this comes out but you and i need to fun- have a talk sometime about how great the actors did regardless of the fact that two people decided to jump ship because Disney gave them a pot of gold to make a film that's going to fail. One of the, one of the funniest things in the fandom about the end of game of Thrones was especially in like the, uh, like after that big uh, battle at the wall, and then when the when the dragon got hit by the bolt thrower, was I read all of these guys that are like military historians talking about how all that stuff was bullshit, and like talking about how hitting an aerial moving target with a bolt thrower is essentially impossible, which I thought was pretty funny. I mean, in terms of like what we're talking about here. Anyway, I, it was a historian based fucking thing. Anyway, yeah, you're right. I'm just like, I don't yeah, wanna, all right. Like context sensitive bolt for, killed the pirate that I guess was important until he wasn't. Yeah, like like most of those things were used for like against static defenses as opposed to moving three dimensional targets. But yeah. whatever. Um. Anyway, <laughs> well, man. Um. Luckily, Bad Jack is able to use a muck's net net to throw cannonball super hard, and he takes out those ships just the old fashioned way. Um, and when one ship is destroyed, it destroys a second ship with its own crossbow, and then the team runs down the third, crushing it. The day is saved, but Ding Dong dies, and that's a bummer, my, I guess. My, I, I don't know. Yet, who cares? My favorite thing is when the giant bolt went through his stomach, he didn't immediately die. Instead, it nah. just took the amount of time that it took to take out two boats for him to then give his dying exposition, and then they yeah. buried him and placed his giant bell on top of his totally. on top of his grave, which was like, yeah. all right, guys. Like, I mean, context sensitive uh, uh, survival methods here, you know. That um, anyway, I, I'm pretty sure this is the only context is the only way in which Mean Team survives anymore. I don't know <laughs> what's happening. Apparently, they end up on land and not in water anymore. And let's go inside of this giant treehouse, but not in it. Let's go yeah. underneath it. Yeah, yeah. they bury him and sail on, eventually arriving at a misty land full of hills. It's the ruins of an old coal mine, hills of dirt left over from the mining process and stuff. 
The power rod they're looking for is at the bottom of this pit, and the team piles aboard an ancient elevator. And hey, look, it's ancient incest elevator. twins here to cut the rope. Yeah. It's got safety messages written by the mysterious NCB, a.k.a. National Coal Bureau. As they descend, goddamn Blue Baloo shows up and cuts the elevator cord. They're falling! Oh no, I'm sure ne- everything's going to be fine. Next time, Descent into Madness. God, I it's... Mean team, man. Mean team. <laughs> the fuck is even going on? Yeah, not great. Not not feeling the mean team, buddy. I just, I feel like every episode is just going to be, and then this happens. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, I'm not, I'm trying not to shit on the writers and, and artists here. I'm just saying, like... You know, I've read fan fiction before. That's what I that mean, feels I'll, like. I'll say just to do a direct comparison, like I'd say that Mean Team lacks a lot of the character development that we had even in Meltdown Man, a previous uh, Hebgen. Str- strong agree. Bell Arginelli joint, you know, which was also about kind of a fantasy quest and stuff. Like if you well, put the two next to each other, one is clearly superior, you know? I mean, any time they decided to add a character in, they gave it time to breathe and said... This is why this character matters. Then they come up later and you're like, oh, man. So that's why those cheetah guys are pretty sweet or also kind of weird because of the loincloths. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) All right. Anyway, with that done, let's chill out before we head down to the heat of the swamps, Fox, with non-thrills, covers, and nerve centers. God, I can't even wait for us to talk about all of this. Me too. Uh, Prague 535, a funeral in Berlin. Maxi Man fights Master Man in the first uh, uh, Zenith cover. And like, as has been happening a bunch, actually, this one's by Steve Dillon. He's been sort of hopping in and doing covers for other people um, in 2080 recently. Looks really cool, honestly. Oh, yeah. But very different from what we see in the comic. Yeah, it's got a different look for sure. In the nerve center, Tharg is stoked about the start of Zenith. And for the uh, Joe Pineapple's pinup at the end of this comic... There's a picture of Dread's Dark Secret, his uh, sweet chest tattoo. There's a <laughs> well-dressed Tharg full of frill power. Uh. And letters asking about Thargian hair, why the cover price for Pluto was the cheapest in the solar system, and why Mad Tommy had World War II fears, how the judges' guns read palms through like their gloves, and how Tharg keeps his identity under wraps. It's a handy excuse. Indeed. Uh, Mid-Prog is a big ad for the 88 annuals, which we're now working our way through. Mm. Inclu- and there's a signing at Forbidden Planet for a bunch of these, as well as one of the first ads we'll see for the uh, Speakeasy Comics newsletter, which we had for many years and covers both British and American comics stuff. It's going to be a, uh, a frequent feature in the ads for 2008 as we go forward. And it's just sort of, for me, like a real sign that we're moving away from the classic like stamp based ads of the past (laughs) we're seeing much more ads that are about like buying and trading comic books snacks fantasy things stuff like that i like snacks i like fantasy things pro snacks send me more british snacks listeners not oh my god i gotta get you some of this uk snacks man they got some savory tasties it happened once. It was one one of the, one of my top days in life. Top this top prog, thrill. Yeah, this prog ends with a cool pinup for Joe Pineapples of the ABC Warriors. Looking by Simon awesome. Harrison. Yeah, looking very cool. I like it a lot. It's not where we're going to end up with Joe Pineapples, which will be oh. unbelievably crazier. 
Whoa, really? Because <laughs> yeah. A1, man. Absolutely. N and V. Uh, 536, born in the UK, a power to be reckoned with, a big spread of Xenathon guitar. And very cool. I like his colors. Yeah, definitely. Uh, this one I think is based on the um, initial character designs as both Brendan McCarthy and Steve Yeo signed this one. Hmm. Um, in the nerve center, Tharg announces the end of the Strontium Dog story and that a new one's coming in on 540. There's a picture of Big Blooper, a genetic mistake, and Salvador Dread, complete with pointy mustache and melty gun. Yeah, did that make you feel a little awkward? I mean, it's definitely like someone just took a photo of Salvador Dali and then put some weird I, stuff I definitely it, don't know? mean that part. Oh, sorry, the melty gun? Listen, you know, I you mean, gotta deal with what you got. I guess. It means it's I just... like you. <laughs> the letters include an accusation that Sam Slade is actually Ted dancing on Cheers. I can definitely How? see that. Okay, so that is true. Uh, although I had hoped that Sam Slade was a little less rapey. Go back and watch season one if you don't understand what I'm talking about. I love Cheers. Oof, season one. I mean, there's some stuff in there that, wow. Wow. I feel... I think it's been like 20 years, maybe even like 30 years since I've seen an episode of Cheers. Although now Ted Danson's on The Good Place, and that's a real good show. Yeah, it is. I mean, I, I like Ted Danson. Yeah, he's good. Um, Any anyway, other, there's a request for more Slain, Nemesis, and Torquemada, as well as Dice Man 6. Sorry, buddy. And a reader <laughs> noticed a reference to Chopper and Super Surf. And, and an upcoming Super Surf and Oz in the Judge Anderson story, about which more in about two episodes. <gasps> Also, two key points here, Fox, and I think this is kind of funny here, uh, that these happen on the same issue. But if you look at the bottom of the nurse of the nerve center on in Prog 536, you'll see that the imprint has changed from IPC to Fleetway. The purchase Ooh. has gone through, and we're in a whole new corporate situation. Hooray, corporatocracy. Something. But I'd say more importantly, Fox is that when this episode comes out, 2000 AD will release Prague 2144. And if you multiply 536 by 4, you'll see that we've just hit 25% complete of 2000 AD. Holy shit. Oh, I like we're that ha- number. We're halfway to halfway. I hate you so much. <laughs> Um, I'm I'm really excited though. It's a great oh, milestone to get to, man. We just we've there's a lot behind us. We got where to go, and I'm having a great time. And I'm so glad that uh, you're coming along with me for sure. Yeah, mid Prague. There's ads for the summer specials and upcoming 3D comics and Eagle in Battle. I'm glad not in 2000 AD because I don't want to try to source <laughs> like 3D glasses to read old comics. Jesus. Uh, this prog ends with a sweet pinup of Crazy Chrissy from DR and Quinch. Smoking guns can seriously damage your head. Vote yes for the return of DR and Quinch, which I, I'm guessing did not happen. Yeah. And this one's signed by John and Jenna Higgins, who I guess might, might be John's wife or something. Hmm. Maybe, maybe working as the colorist here. I'm, I'm not sure. Prog 537, hot shot in pot It's looking beautiful, man. <laughs> Dread is checking out the swamp as the blimps look on threateningly in this cover by Steve Dillon. In the nerve center, a thin-haired, middle-aged Tharg welcomes us aboard and mentions the start of Universal Soldier. There's a picture of Judge Bilko, Phil Silver's style, and letters about Tharg on a scooter, Tharg's relation to Ford Prefect, another um, Beetlejuicean in science fiction. 
Tharg looking uncool on the sci-fi uh, special cover. <laughs> and a letter with a lot of different options. Arr. Mid-issue, there's another pinup by John Higgins, this time of Rogue Trooper walking through the wastes. Uh, yeah, yeah. Targeted by some sort of automatic sniper. Uh, finally, Prog 538, Crime Watch 2110 AD. This one is super cool. I love the really? grizzled look to Dread, you know? Yeah, really cool. Just Dread looking out on the city uh, by Liam McCormick Sharp. Um, although I think it might still be 2109 in Dread's mm. world. I'm not sure. Anyway, in the nerve center, Tharg directs traffic. There's a picture of Judge Beastie. No, no, sleep till Mega City. <laughs> um, requests for more Kev O'Neill, a Johnny B. Good parody about Johnny Alpha, and a kid from America wanting to stand out from the crowd. And so he wins eight, four, $8.40 instead of five pounds. Mid Prague is the, uh, there are responses from the contest in Prague 522 to become a judge. Very quick turnaround here. We've seen some contests take a year. Yeah. And this thing was like uh, 16 issues. Uh, the winner is Stephen Durbin from Ireland. Presumably, he's on his way to be sent to the future to become a Justice Department cadet. Well, hey, why not? Yeah. Five hundred four hundred and fourteen people en- entered, ranging from ages four to forty-two, and more than half say the judges aren't hard enough, and twenty-eight said not nearly harsh enough. Damn. <laughs> and speaking of judges being harsh, Fox. Oh hell yeah. Yeah. Thrill four. Judge Dredd. Script robot for Judge Dredd, John Wagner and Alan Grant, art robot Steve Dillon, letter robot, Tom Frame. Oh, Timmy. <laughs> Fox, it's the Alabama blimps. Uh, I love it. I absolutely fucking adore this. Finally, a chance to use my Cajun accent. (laughs) (laughs) Reckon? Fox, I had a great setup for this story in my mind, all right? Because later the artist for this story, Steve Dillon, would go on to do the art for the Preacher comics. Ooh. um, Along with, yeah, along with uh, upcoming 2008 alum Garth Ennis. And there's a preacher story I really like where these evil badass rednecks, uh, Jody and TC, are hanging out in this swamp and they deal with stereotypical movie characters and things get get real weird. Um, <laughs> okay. And I was going to make a real pretentious point about Steve Dillon getting the uh, – uh, like some inspiration from that story from this dread work he Ooh. did. But then I looked up that Preacher story. It's called The Good Old Boys. It's sort of a side story on Preacher. Just good and old boys. Exactly. But the art for that comic wasn't done by Steve Dillon Fox. <gasps> it was done by goddamn Carlos Escara. Escara! God so damn <laughs> you. From the grave haunting us. Yeah, exactly. So that's blown. So whatever, buddy. Um, How can although, we be pretentious now? Like, thanks, well, I man. Will, I will say there are a lot of things here that I feel do influence the actual Stallone Dread movie. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah. So, I, 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 yeah, we can talk about that for sure. Anyway, out in the cursed earth, the foxy lady, a charter flight, is off course and on fire, radioing Mega City One as they go down. Does Sky, the- Sky Jack. Like, or is it Sky Juke on his helmet? I think it's Sky Jock. I think Jock. Yeah, because no. when you fly something, you're you're like a flight jock or yeah, exactly. jockey, whatever. Um, anyway, <laughs> aboard the ship is Sir Ralph Bonkington, Brit's ambassador. Snort, oh, sorry, ambassador. hot, etc. 
ambassador, fop, and asshole, and his fancy butler hives. Very, very fair assessment there. Mm, yes, uh, the ship crashes and the pair survives by being thrown clear aboard Bonkington's bathtub and the ship explodes as the ambassador makes bad jokes. I will say there's some cannibal holocaust going on here. Like mm. 1980 movie that I don't suggest most people watch if you're very squeamish, but damn great film. Got remade mm. also to an yeah, even indeed. greater squeamishness degree. <laughs> Suddenly they aren't alone as there's as they're approached by a bunch of good old boys led by Otis McCoy of the fighting feud of the feuding fighting feeding fun and fl- uh, McCoys. I'm farting, farting McCoys, flatulating. I so. Yeah, I think so. Uh, and and they got a gun to Bonkington's head. Meanwhile, Dread is organizing a search party. They'll head into the Alabama morass where wild rednecks have regressed to a semi-primitive state and either snag the ambassador or recover his bones. Uh, well, you know, send something back, I guess. <laughs> yeah, the he- the H-Wagon heads out, zapping mutants, attacking Helltrek as they go. At the morass, the judges head out on sweet hover bikes and Judge Stein inspects the wreckage, but he realizes he's standing on a giant gator. You know this guy's, you know, a dingus because dude didn't wear his helmet, just doping around, man. Just being a real dingus. Definitely. Dredd, who's fought giant gators before, will recall, uh, says shooting might hit Stein, so instead he just pulls his boot knife and leaps into the fray. I, I love I love how this, like, escalates. He goes in, of course, trying to stab that gator. But, ah, Always. man, he's got hide-like armor plating, so it's time to go for the underbelly. You know what? Let's just rip through that bitch. Always. Yeah, so Dredd jumps in. He goes, yeah, Dredd's gator fighting. And I got to say, I really love the coloring in this story, Yeah. Folks. Like, the judges have really black uniforms here, and I think that's really awesome. As opposed mm-hmm. to, you know, usually, like, the, you know, the, the, their uniforms are black, but they also have large dark blue patches. Just yeah, for, like, exactly. Uh, Shading. For, hi- for highlighting and stuff. Yeah. yeah. But in this one, they're really almost all black, and that's really cool. Gives you that imposing look to the whole judge theme, you know? Yeah. So like you said, Dredd stabs the gator in the soft underbelly, but the blood from that gator is drawn in more of them. <laughs> and the rest of the pack, luckily, is quickly taken out with high X, uh, and you Stein do. is sent back to the H-Wagon. Not before getting a little bit of chastisement. Absolutely. Well, listen, you know. Careless. We're on a a mission here. Yeah. Careless, motherfucker. (laughs) The judges search the foxy lady. They find the dead crew, but the ambassador is still missing. They do eventually find his bathtub and then tracks. Must have been taken by a redneck tribe. I love the, like, uh, definitely, totally detective work they do, where it's just like they're looking and standing near the bath, and it's like, oh, yeah, probably just... Bath got flung out. He was in it, but he's probably fine. So, you know, etc. cetera. Hunt. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, oh, because the bathtub's there and you knew it was a bathtub. I mean, just like when demons or time travelers show up in Judge Dread Fox, there's nothing they haven't seen before. That's know? pretty fair. <laughs> Once a bathtub thrown out of a high speed fucking superliner, uh, any bathtub thrown out of a high speed superliner. <laughs> I think they just know what these Brits did reprobates are like. You know, know, that's pretty fair. (laughs) Oligarchy, man. It's a problem. Meanwhile, Bonkington has found a pair of pants and is huffing his way through the swamps, being carried on the back of his butler hives. 
the good old boys are not pleased by this and knock him off. And they say they're going to sell him to the local slave market. But Bonkington instead suggests hold that they ransom him to Britsit because he's worth millions. And they're like, wait, like hundreds? He's like, nah, man, millions. And they're like, oh, shit, that's awesome. Yeah, once Hives confirms this, the boys are pretty stoked until a strange figure swings in on a vine. Oh my god, run for your lives, it's the Alabama blimps! So fantastic. She's beautiful. She's absolutely beautiful. Gator teeth necklace. Listen, uh, you stole my joke here, Fox, but yeah, uh, the, the, the blimps swim, swim in and they're all large, basically Conrad-sized ladies. <laughs> they quickly kick the shit out of all these McCoys. They're led by Big Mammy, who wields a spear, wears a leopard-spotted full-body loincloth, <laughs> a necklace of sharp teeth, and a bowler hat. I will make her my bride. <laughs> like, I'm just going to say, this woman is fashion-forward in all the right ways. Yeah, she got that Fred Flintstone look, mm-hmm. uh, plus like w- with the bowler. Looking a few great. of the McCoys run off, and Big Mammy lets them go, spitting some chaw juice. <laughs> Bonkington <laughs> thinks he's been saved, and is like, oh, charmed, I'm sure. But the blimps are not impressed. Nah, man. And soon we find out, in the finest possible way, use food. Yeah, they hassle Bonkington a bit, saying he's a... Bl- and he says he's a blue-blooded member of the Britsit aristocracy, and Mammy says she'll try anything once. <laughs> <laughs> On their hover bikes, Dread hears the gunshots and they're in pursuit. They catch up with the escapees from the blimp attack and manage to take one alive. The hick identifies the ambassador and says that he's lost because the blimps are man-eaters. I love how he just like lifts this dude up by the shirt, throws him against a tree, is lifting him up by the shirt against the tree, like clearly yeah. ha- like half his body height upwards and just sticks a gun into his gut like, you're fucking Listen, telling me he- what's up. Yeah, one of these scrawny hillbillies is no match for big, beefy Mega City One boys, you know? Mm. Um, Try anything once. On the on the canoe downriver, Bonkington tells Hives that he thinks Big Mammy is smitten with him, and the McCoys just laugh, and we get a real reference to the Dread movie because the McCoy leader, like, you know, says, like, uh, your new friends, they're cannibals. <laughs> We're all for the pot. And we see that Big Mammy indeed wears the skull of Big Pappy on her belt. Hey, you know, your first is always the, you know, what, the first cut is the deepest, etc. Indeed. <laughs> the first lunch is the deepest. Oh, my God. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> your first on the... lunch is the deepest. Sunsets on the bayou as Dread questions a hillbilly. He explains the bit the Britson ambassador has been kidnapped by cannibals and Dread's on the case. Hey, you know, I, God, I love these color pages, man. Yeah, definitely. The H wagon begins a yeah. It's, it's got a good like sunset kind of feel to mm-hmm. it. I think a lot of like oranges and stuff. Kind of a kind of a uh, yeah. Like I, like I said, like this whole thing's got like a like a early to mid eighties slash early set or late seventies kind of thing to it. Right. Like apocalypse now colors, you know? Yeah. But again, totally cannibal Holocaust. I really feel like is informing a lot of what we're seeing right now. (laughs) Possible. Uh, the H wagon sweeps for the blimps as big mammy's raiding party returns home. The men are tossed in a cage as the blimps get their cook pots ready and Pockington realize that the blimps ate all their man folk. Hey, you know, I mean, if it didn't sink him before, it's definitely there now. You're a yummy I, one. 
I like how Frank the McCoys are here explaining that me- that red men that redneck men are all pretty terrible. So it's hard to blame the Blimps for killing <laughs> and eating them all. Yeah, exactly. It's like ah, oh, we don't really like. <laughs> hate him for it we just don't want to get eaten as of course they're explaining all of this it's just mammy and another woman with a chef's hat on and they're just looking through a book called recipes (laughs) it's real good yeah big mammy ate big pappy and since this was the days of the big famine you know it all just goes now all these women are just in a constant orgy of violence and gluttony getting fat and angry off the flesh of dudes i'm just saying like You've had to eat a lot of people in order to have a book called Recipes with, you know, what looks like a couple hundred pages of what could be finger-licking delicious uh, man flesh. Which, also, I'm not saying I'm against. I mean, these are, you know, forward-thinking women. Sometimes you just gotta and- repurpose your men into something a little bit more digestible. <laughs> <laughs> and they've all gotten pretty, like, like... These are, you know, these are large women from the uh, from the effects of eating all these guys. You know, it's got a kind of a of a Futurama uh, Amazon feel. To oh it, I yeah, I'm I you know I oh I didn't even think of that. Snoo snoo. That's where I always go. <laughs> um, the, the the flesh is or the mind is willing, but the flesh is tender and sore. The ambassador will be eaten by the large women, then the petite women, then the large women again. Um, <laughs> oh, future, I miss you. Meanwhile, the H-Wagon has found the camp, and Dredd and the judges are on their way. Cook time has arrived, and the blimps are calling dudes out to be eaten. The time ambassador to grovel. is called... Yeah, but he's not having it. He tries to send hives in his place, but the butler is not that much for gentlemen's gentlemen, and Bonington oh, no. is dragged out. I love he's just like, yeah, you can go fuck yourself, man. I'll do all of this other stuff, but you think I'm going to die for you? Straight up, yeah. no. He tries again to tempt Big Mammy with getting a ransom, but she doesn't need money. She's got everything she needs in this swamp. Yeah, man. She's the leader of a of a very successful tribe of flesh-eating women, and, you know, they really only need breeding stock once in a while, as I imagine, so you don't really look like a strong one. Time to eat. And Yeah, instead he tries to legalize his way out of it by saying, oh, yes, I demand a, a trial by combat for my freedom, but since you don't have a man to be your champion, I suppose you'll just have to let me go. And she stands up works. and says, hey, listen, I've seen Game of Thrones, and that shit does not fly here. I'm just going to beat the shit out of you myself. Yeah, plus, Mammy's an independent woman. I don't need no man, buddy. I love that she just lifts him up off the ground ready to fucking throw him. Ain't a man born that's a match for Big Mammy. Yeah. She oh, tosses the ambassador woman. into the pot when some shots ring out. It's Dread! Uh, now that's a man. Next time, Big Mammy versus Dread, Battle of the Titans. Beautiful. It's so, so great. It's yeah, so good. I love it so much. It's just like a, a good old-fashioned good old Dread. Totally. And speaking of stories that are both uh, new and, and weird, Fox. Uh. <laughs> Drill 5, Universal Soldier. Uh, you know, it's there. I'm being mean to Universal Soldier, and I feel bad about that. I'm sorry. I don't, um, don't be, because I'm like, what? Uh, scripter about Alan McKenzie, art about Bill Simpson, letting her about John Aldrich's Aldrich 3. Okay, Fox. Mm-hmm. In the boardroom of the Universal Corporation headquarters. Oh, man. So exciting. When we cut to a boardroom as our first fucking cut. 
Yeah, ma- on the planet Mammon 7, a, a screen counts down. The company has been trying to make clones for some time, but it, and a doctor named Max Hellstrom has beaten them to the technology. Uh-huh. Because of that, he's also been sentenced to life on Heartbreak Rock, on the, on the planet Heartbreak Rock for Crimes Against Humanity. Yeah, sure. Okay. The corporate guy wants to get Hellstrom for their business, but Heartbreak Rock is the most escape-proof prison planet in the galaxy. So it's kind of like if RoboCop... Harry on the High Rock and Escape from New York had a baby. Yeah, I'd say like um, Harry, like uh, Escape from New York times um, what the like the planet that that, that the Sardukar Warriors come from in Dune. <laughs> yeah, like because that's a prison planet that's meant to build to build like the ultimate shock troops yeah. and stuff. And I'm just a huge nerd, folks. Well, anyway. also because Dune is awesome, indeed. Um, so the plan's pretty simple. They just got to find the doc and teleport him out. That means someone's got to go do it. We get a bit of the rock here. Um, sure. And I should say this is a, a Simpsons' first big work in 2000 AD, though he did do some stuff in the recent Judge Anderson story. But basically we see the rock. It's Mad Max. You know. Yeah. They get out of your escape egg and have to deal with some stuff. But hey, my chip turns on and some dumb shit happens. Yeah, you usually die in no more than three hours unless you can join a gang. You can't build anything on the planet. There's no food besides what you can find. So it's Um, not even rust. It's not even the progenerator of building some cool PvP shit. We're just going straight into dumb garbage. Mm. Like, you just get what falls from the sky and a bunch of neo-primitives complete with a lady on a dog leash follow a crashing pod. And when they find it, a cool dude with sunglasses gets out. Hey, why not? some matrix in here or whatever the boardroom guy says he's not just a regular operative the primitive searches search his ship he wants to talk but they don't want to do that and said sick the dog lady on him and suddenly the scene shifts oh my god she's now a real dog instead of a hot lady dog yeah, instead of a dude using spaceship parts to beat up sci-fi neo-primitives, he's a twentieth. He's on a twentieth-century city street, taking out an attack dog with a blackjack. So I guess he's like more reasonable situation. I guess. Well, the boardroom guy explains that this operative has a storage chip. The word sure. "story" with GE on the end, you know, storage plus story. Yep. And it's a matrix. It's a matrixy kind of thing. Basically, it instantly gra- grants any number of skills to the wearer based on human experience in combat. It draws on all of human knowledge, past, present, and future, and places the operative. Sorry, and replaces the operative with someone who has won that same kind of fight previously, only returning to their normal selves once the fight is won. Okay, so we're adding in some total recall. Got it. Yeah, kind of. The guys in the boardroom say this plan is ludicrous and immoral. Because it kind of is. Yeah. Where would you even find a subject? And the guy at the head of the table says, the whole thing is happening already. You know, which is what I mean, they were watching it the whole time. So. Yeah, exactly. The other executives are yelling at the guy in charge. And there's a weird split here, basically, between the boardroom and the Universal Soldier's memory fight. And then also the Mad Max-style planet he's on. We're going to have these three scenes sort of cutting between each other. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I kind of like, not that I'm agreeing with the CEO, dude, but he's like, dude, we're already watching it, number one. Number two, I've already done it, so go fuck yourself. And number three, we're an evil corporation, so why are you even questioning the things that I'm yeah. doing here? We're literally based on Mammon 7. Like, what's yeah. with these morals I'm hearing suddenly? 
Uh, the soldier's imagining himself as a street fighter in New York in 1933, Until fighting he a bunch doesn't. of guys on a raiding street. He quickly takes them all out, and some. I, I do like these fight scenes by, by oh, Simpson. Yeah, as sort yeah. of brains They're pouring down. They're fucking gorgeous. The art. Once really you get great. all that plot out of the way. Yeah, he questions a sole survivor. The doctor is an Eden to the West. The battle is won. The soldier snaps back to the present and is all like, what have I done? I mean, I feel like what you were doing just a moment before, except now you're just in a different place. So maybe mm-hmm. it's confusing, but like, what have you done? Yeah. Same thing you just did. Well, because his personality re- was replaced by that street fighter from 1933. You know, he wasn't in his head when the fighting was going on. It was some other personality from the past. Okay, so you're that one kind of canceled show where... What what the fuck is it? The <laughs> Netflix one where everyone, like, is in a cell and there's, like, eight of them. Sense8. <laughs> so it's Sense8 Kind also. of, yeah. Um. Anyway, we snap back to the boardroom and told the operative is a certified coward and only the chip will pull him forward to violence. Still, brave or not, he knows the only way off this planet is to find Helstrom and bring him back alive. And we see the soldier trudging through the harsh terrain, more bandits looking on from the distance. Also, Next every time, every time this, this CEO dude was like, God damn it, Iger. I'm like, yeah, Bob Iger, get the fuck out of this boardroom. <laughs> Like, I, I don't like this the corporate boardroom stuff I, in it here. It is so fucking... Un- I mean, you could have just done some setup. You could have shown all the fighting and shit, and then interspliced, like, have some fucking boxes, like, oh, what the yeah. fuck are they talking about? And then you cut at the very end of the first thing to being like, we're in a boardroom, we've sent this guy to a planet, he's got a special chip that makes him super powerful, but he'll never remember it, and it's kind of fucked up because the dude yeah, is just constantly in a thing. But instead, it's just, it's so overly complicated and so and, uh, dense. And we'll see next time it gets incredibly uh, dramatic as well, like like overdramatic. Okay. And so I feel, like, like, like it feels more like padding than anything else to me, just yeah. a way to get a slightly thin story up to like the, the, the required number of pages. I just like, I wish that, yeah, well, like you said, I, I, I wish they could have figured out a way to just deal with this in exposition early in the story and then just let the soldier and his flashbacks do their thing, you know? Yeah, exactly. And speaking of shit getting in the way of me enjoying myself. <laughs> Thrill six. Future jocks. Oh my God. Oh I mean, my God! Con- no, I look. We can equi- we can here. equivocate as much as we want, Conrad, because I won't disagree with you. At least one of these was a pretty decent story, but Jesus Christ! <laughs> like I think there did are, it have I think to there be are, so many. I think there are three good future shocks in this in this batch. Of I future shocks. I won't I won't even argue with you on that one. Do you know what I don't need? Is like six future shocks and four fucking issues. There are a lot. I feel like there, you know, because there was some different. I feel like there was some, just some difficulty with Mean Team that definitely added to the uh, to 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 the number in here. I, sure, sell the ad space. Yeah, because you know what I don't need is some guy thinking that computers work because you think they work. Like there. dumb. But- be- Sorry. Before we get there, let's go to uh, this first one, Night Shift, scripter about Alan Hebden, art about fine. Simpson, later about Steve Potter. I like this one a lot, actually. I, I'm sorry. I'm going to do spoilers each one. This one's fine. 
Yeah. It's the night shift at the London Underground. A young guy is starting work there. His boss helps him get equipped. Brush and pan, helmet and armor, crucifix and wooden stakes, garlic and silver dagger, nerve nerve gas, and sandwiches. Pretty good. Um, yeah, it's tough in the underground at night. This kid thinks it's a joke until he sees a giant cockroach. But it's just old Mary. Don't mind her. Just shoot some shots at her. She'll leave you alone. Soon, a train's coming in, haunted and full of ghosts. Then there's giant rats and the vampires. And then the werewolves and giant spiders show up. There's a lot going on. Before they can even drop the nerve gas, the kid runs off before the tea break. Kids these days have no heart for a steady job, Fox. This could have been two pages. It just could have been. It could have been Uh, exactly two pages. I love this. I I love this story. I thought it was really great. I would watch this TV show. Oh, I would sure. run a uh, a Monster of the Week campaign based around it. I think it's really good. Well, I mean, it's um, basically the Ghostbusters, right? Like, yeah, kind it's, of. I just it's as rote but mundane, right? Yeah. Like you're just exterminators, which again I, is fine. I don't hate it, Conrad. I'm just saying it could have been two goddamn pages. I just love how casual the uh, the, the the older guy is here. He's just seen it all and just kind of has a thing for it and stuff. It's great. Anyway, next up, I'm a believer. Scripture about Bucket. Neil Gaiman, art about Massimo Bellardinelli, later about Tom Frame. This is this is what bummed me about the whole thing. It's Neil Gaiman, and maybe it was his first foray or whatever. But it's like the now the little is... the little exchanges are good, but the overall story, I'm just like, uh, what? Yeah, this what? is the this is his third time in 2008. Mm-hmm. I think. Um, Harry Peterson's a re- computer repair technician, thir- third class. He's discovered, and he's just discovered one of the secrets of the universe. Basically, he tries to fix computer, but it won't work no matter what he does. A lot of stuff happens. We kind of get some little pieces of his future life. He's got a big alien blob boss. His buddy has a weird gas-burning hover bike and stuff like that. Oh. Um, eventually, he, fig- he realizes that things only work because he thinks they will. Or people think they will. When he thinks that computer won't, computers won't work, all the computers in, in the office he's working in just start to shut off. And he gets real freaked out. He, uh, he runs out, starts to question even more of reality. Suddenly gravity starts working. As he floats away, he tries to believe in gravity and everything else again. And his buddy almost hits him with his hover bike. They call an ambulance and they talk about that bike, the mechanic once said the bike was only running because his friend believed it would. And Henry freaks out, but decides to forget about it, just sort of embracing a life of weird insanity. <laughs> I didn't like this one as much, I guess. I don't no, know. No, I like, this fucking hate it. It's super, this one is super long as well. And like, yeah. Bellinelli isn't doing his best work on it, I think. I, and that's, I'm just, I'm not trying to take a shit on Gaiman, who's one of my favorite authors, like, of books. Mm-hmm. Now he, you know, he's got ups and downs. Um, sure. Next up, tomorrow's results. Great, script- another one. <laughs> a script robot Alan Hebden, art robot Intruder, letting robot Steve Potter. I had some discussion with folks about who this artist might be, and we had trouble narrowing it down. It's got kind of a Casanova-y look, I thought, but also kind of a Mike White look. I don't know. I'm sure. Guessing someone from the Mediterranean agencies or something here's, like that. I mean, but here's my thing. In but, the top five future shocks that you pull from, right? Top one being Tiny Aliens was the was it the whole time? But no, the, this one's 
this yeah. one is like it, it's in the five, but maybe number yeah. five. You know, what very I mean? much yes. Standard fare here. A gambler gets a racing form delivered to him with the next day's results in it, and he gets rich. Um, it keeps coming, gets richer and richer until finally the paper comes saying that he's died in a plane crash. He tries to avoid it, doesn't get on the plane, but Tuesday's walking around and seems he's just a ghost because he did get on the plane. He can't escape the future. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Great. Um, another kind of standard future shock. We got a resentment. A script robot Alan Hebden, art robot Massimo Bellardinelli, letting robot Gordon Robson, Skid Robson. I didn't hate this one as much because of the context of the thing, if that makes mm. sense. Yeah. But do you know what I did hate about it, Conrad? What? That it took fucking like nearly seven pages to tell me it that. It is kind of a long one, too, yeah. Little Poggy is a dwarfy kid raised by dwarfy parents. He's got a, uh, a Bellardinelli Jack in the Box, which I appreciated. I, um, I mean, anytime he's a cameo, I'm happy. Totally. Eventually, he learns that he lives on a spaceship, a slow colony ship where the elites have left a crowded and dying Earth Damn, on a those 60 year elites. trip yeah, to a new home. Poggy and his parents are non-elites caretaking on the ship, and Poggy's pretty unhappy about the whole situation. But hey, it's he... better than starving and living on a planet where we would probably be dead, says Dad. And I'm like, yeah, that actually kind of makes some sense. Poggy is not mollified by these excuses and gets angrier and angry as he buries his mother and father and then is left alone on the long trip to the new world. Honestly, the biggest takeaway from all of this is that I'm fairly disappointed at them for not having several different families of caretakers so that you wouldn't just be left alone the whole fucking time to go yeah, nuts, which is what happens. You got to take precautions to avoid space craziness for sure. Yeah, um, it happens. We've had we get, movies about this by this point. Totally. Yeah, we, we get one really great picture of Poggy going nuts, and then the ship arrives at the new planet Arcadia, when the beautiful elites come aboard to get their colonists a crazy, all with a crazy Poggy with his hair all grown out, shows them the way. They're all long dead. Oh, no. Yeah, I killed them because I didn't want to be alone, so I let them come out and rot, I guess, whatever. Yeah. Killed Done. How, messed around with their corpses. It's kind of gross. Uh, final story. What's <sighs> in a name? God, time for Neil Gaiman to get real abstract about the creation of characters and pen names. This one feels really Neil Gaiman to me. Yeah, it um, feels emphatically Neil Gaiman, who only has a couple pages to tell that thing. Except by a couple pages, I actually mean seven pages to say that hmm. thing that he would take an entire book normally to do. Or a short sure. poem that was actually decent. <laughs> Script robot Neil Gaiman, Jerry Musgrave, Richard Gray, and W.C. Gull. Art robot Steve Yol, Hugh Daw, Burt Richardson, Mac, Al Mac <laughs> Athletic robot Jack Potter, FT Index, MT Chain, FT Index, MT Chambers, and T Cozy. I, I really, I really do have to just like put this as a preface because I feel like I'm being a dick to one of my favorite authors right now. It's fine. I just don't think that you can confine that man to a future shock, and this feels so Neil Gaiman. It's very yeah. Neil Gaiman. It's his final work in the Prague here, with art by Steve Yolova Zenith, who we saw earlier in, in, in the episode. A writer looking not unlike uh, Jack Nance in Eraserhead complains to a professor. <laughs> really he's does, a, actually. Yeah. 
He's a writer, but writes under pen names. There's the dark and sultry Lucinda, the Rambo-esque Dirk, the Don Rickles slash Henny Youngman combo Wally Nafkipper, and Harrison Cortex, who's kind of part Robert Smith from The Cure, part actual Neil Gaiman. <laughs> part, part dream from uh, yeah. from almost, like, I mean, what people knew of Neil Gaiman of comic books. Yeah, definitely. Um, all all was well and good until the different pen names start mixing together. Romance in the war novels, violence in the romance books, existential garbage in the humor, humor in the existential garbage. What's hey, to be done? <laughs> the doctor has an idea. They'll zap his mind and extract the personalities, then download them into protoplasmic tank bodies. <laughs> Soon, Great. a bunch of clones are born, each with best-selling novels in them. The only problem is that the writer himself can't think of anything. Instead, he creates a new personality, a female author of disturbing horror fiction. The professor is surprised by all this. No one would believe it if he wrote it in a journal, but maybe he could do it under a pen name? <laughs> nah. <laughs> Just throw that shit in the garbage. Yeah. I thought this was good. I don't know. I like it It's fine. It's, I, so that's what I mean. <sighs> like, it reminded, it reminded me a lot, actually, of a story in Sandman that's about a guy that, uh, like, kidnapped a muse. And yeah. then um, had the muse, like, like, help him write novels and stuff and then went insane and stuff like that. This is a very sort of, you know, a comic about the process of writing and some weird supernatural parts about that and stuff like that. This Which, again, I... Of, I, I don't have a problem if I'm reading, like, a short story. Again, my issue is it's a future shock, right? I mean, like, I yeah, know I, I know I'm being unfair. I know. Like, I think, I, I think, like, the problem, kind of the problem with future shocks is that sometimes they're very much what I, I think you're talking about, where we sort of, you know, don't count them for best and worst. They're very much just there to... Fill a few, fill a page or two, or just kind of get in and out and stuff like that. But I think also there's room for future shocks to be one-off stories. I think that's what you know. That's what future shocks are gonna be in the like as we go forward in the comic way. Sure, more, and that's sort as of what I'm able to sort of like sniper in these page counts and stuff like that. So I, I'd say like like there has been like while there have been times where a long future shock just meant that there were scheduling problems and we just got to throw some bullshit out there. I would say leave yourself open for the ability of a future shock to just kind of be a cool one-off story. But which I that's think... why he rebranded into this like different I, – I don't even remember what they are anymore because he doesn't use them. For me, the future shock is like this corny two-pager, right? Like I, I mean... see the things that they've been filling in here and I'm like, oh, OK, this is pretty interesting. But I also wouldn't call it a future shock for me personally. But nah, also I mean, what for me, bothers like, me more than anything else is give me two or three more pages of some extended storyline in anything else that I'm heavily invested in, as opposed to something that I know is just burnable by the end of I mean, like, I reading gotta, it. I got to disagree. I mean, I think especially I'm talking about um, like the, the final one, what's in a name, for mm -hmm. instance, 
Um, with that one, like I feel, I don't feel like it had like filler. I felt like it kind of like no, was, was there to be a one-off story by like like a name, you know. Mm-hmm. And like honestly, I don't like. I've never differentiated between what the names of these stories are, be it Future Shock or Robo Taylor Time Twister. You know, they're all there. We go shocks. Time Twister. <laughs> yeah, but of like I mean, that just means that it's about time. You know, <laughs> I think there's definitely. <laughs> so you do have a like. That's what I'm saying is that there's qualifications for what make these but, things a thing. Like on, but like on our show, like we've all just put, we've always just put future shocks into one big uh, uh, bin. No, all of the one-off stories just go in one thing, and so that's very much what I'm thinking. And, of, and of the I movies. think, and I think that that is truly unfair because you have to gradiate that bin. There's the real garbage. There's the acceptable. Thank God it was only this, and then there was the elevated. Like, oh, that was pretty good. Yeah, but and I feel so, like I don't need Tharg to point that out to me. I feel like I, I, I know it when I see it, you know. Like, I feel like I, I can tell Tharg the difference. I don't need to drop it on me and just be like, this is a really good one. Yeah, I mean, I think I can tell the difference between, like, hey, like, here's something by, a, by some prestige worker – by some prestige writers and artists that are like doing something cool versus like, here's something, here's a one pager by someone you've never heard of and, and will never hear of again. That's just about like a car turning into a blob or something. Well, you know? I, <laughs> or a car like, killing people randomly. Like, so but like that can be good too. I don't know. Like, I feel like, um, you know, I, I, I worry, frankly, that we've sort of got that, that we've sort of just uh, uh, branded future shocks with this brush of all future shocks are shitty. They're just there to keep space and stuff. And so that when they try to get ambitious or tell an interesting story with it, instead, we're just kind of like poo pooing it just because it's a future shock. You and, know what I mean? And thank you very much for proving the point of what my bottom thrill is this, this month, which is future shocks damn you did such a hard amount of work and such a great amount of labor that there is only clearly one one bottom slot that i can put this in which is mean team go fuck yourself like really just leave me alone and stop making me read you because i had so much more fun reading anything else than what you did and mm. i'm not trying to shit on on, on hebden or belladonelli or even frame but Jesus Christ, like the amount of conversation we just had about future shocks, which everyone knows my feelings and opinions on and that we can disagree on, has more substance for us to discuss than I believe you and I even want to talk about Mean Team. I'm taking a guess that that's your bottom two. I'll let you speak to it. But I will say I, that that is yeah. firmly my bottom and you have made my point for me by us not talking Fair. about it. And I will talk about it no longer. What's your, top this week? what's your top this week? What's your top this episode? Are you even fucking? Are you even fucking kidding? It's a Judge Dread. I love it. I nice. fucking love the Alabama blimps. I didn't ever think that I would ever say that I loved something from Alabama. Turns out I do. <laughs> it was fucking amazing, man. I she's. I hope she's a recurring character. I hope she doesn't just get iced. But if she does, she's going up there in one of my strong female character, like, like maybe the fifth or or sixth place in strong female characters of 2000 AD. Well, let's see. There's like there's Halo Jones. There's old oh, one. Oh yeah, eye. <laughs> yeah. That's <laughs> Jesus. Well, because like a well, I guess now it's getting filled out a little bit more with with Volgoska like and Nessie right back <laughs> in the day. Well, you're for, uh, I mean, what's her name the, from, uh, from, from, from not ET. God, why is my brain not working right now? 
Um, oh yeah, Skiz. Yeah, from Skiz. What's her name? Why am I forgetting it? You've got the steel trap here. Roxy from Skiz. Roxy. Roxy's definitely on there. Okay, so she's top ten. Yeah. She's top ten. And strong then, female you characters. know, and and don't forget a uh, Hershey Anderson Magruder from. Oh, I mean, uh, from no, Dread. they're already up there. They're Durham they're like Red, of course. Durham Red. She's getting up there too now. Actually, Jesus good- Christ. We're getting some ladies in here, buddy. It's nice. I'm into but it. But you Alabama know what? Blimps, also real good. Uh, you know what I'm going to say? I'm done talking about what I'm talking about because I've been all over the place. And you know what? I want some structure in my life, Conrad. And the person mm. that I go to for that kind of solidarity is first Fast Crunch by Reese's Company. It's a delicious chocolate candy bar that, uh, you know what? We're not even sponsored by. I just love it. Yeah. And I can't get over here in Europe. So if anyone wants to send me a fast break from the United States, I'd be help. I'd be very happy because fast of the structural okay. integrity of that uh, beautiful chocolate bar. However, uh, if I was to say that there was a second pillar in my life in terms of structure, I would go to Conrad and I would say, hey. what were your top and bottom thrills, buddy? Oh, man. Okay, well, I'm going to make it real easy, and I'm going to agree with you, like, pretty much. <laughs> uh, mean Team, not great. Not caring for it. Love that. Love that first round of Mean Team when they were doing sports stuff and fighting their way out of the we sci-fi situation. We love future situations. sports. Fantasy quest version of Mean Team. Ooh, Weird. Not great. Weird and immortal? I love Fantasy Quest, Fox. I don't care for this. Well, we um, already have Slane and or Slanya, and Slanya's fucking dope. And like Meltdown Man 2 and other oh, stuff. Meltdown like, Man was an epic. Even though it went on for entirely too long, still better than all of this. Disagree. Anyway, but yeah, um, Mean Team, bad. Not liking it. Top, Dread. These Alabama blimps, buddy. They're so beautiful. Story. I'm really stoked for for I I feel like Zenith is up there too. I'm mm. really enjoying that. It's growing um, on me. I love just the the fun of the end of Strontium Dog this week. You know, anytime where it's just like <laughs> they just walk away into face. the sunset with money. Yeah, just belly laughing and making duck puns. That was really awesome. But uh, just the uh, the art and just and especially the color pages mm. for. Uh, this this story is really amazing, and then I just like the little like pieces, like the look in to Brit sit, yeah, um, dread like leading an assault, learning about this new part of the world of Megas of uh, of of dread and stuff like that. It's all real great. It's all the, the stuff that I'm really looking for in these kinds of stories. It's beautiful. What a great month ish. Yeah, I thought it was pretty good. You know, despite our like a uh, blood feud about the nature of future shots. Oh, we're going to anyway, disagree on some stuff, you know? Yeah, totally. I hope everybody enjoyed the show. As always, you can find Space Spinner 2000 on iTunes, Stitcher, the Google Play Store, Spotify, or our podcast site, spacespinner2000.com. Feel free to contact us at spacespinner2000 at gmail.com on the 2080 forums or on our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter pages. On Twitter, we're at spacespinner2k for everything else with spacespinner2000. We should be there. Then come back next time. As Mean Team finds the rod, Universal Soldier nears his goal, Johnny Alpha meets a sorry case, Death Fist returns, we go out on the town with some freaks, and Zenith goes to get back up from a dragon in Wales. You're you're waiting for that and Zenith hits at Zenith. (laughs) (laughs) Frankly, my promise to everybody is not to make that joke. Until then, I'm Conrad Eastbox, and we... Our space been a few thousand. Sunday, Sunday. Sunday.